Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. It's Carolyn April here, looking for my buddy Seth. Seth, where are you? Hey, I'm here. I'm at Downers Grove. You should In be the- here. It's it's great here. We just had a big Cinco de Mayo lunch, so you missed oh, it. Say happy Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. I miss I miss all the fun stuff at headquarters. I'm never there. You guys are having parties left and right. All Extra- the fun stuff. Yep. There's so much of it. <laughs> How are you doing? Your uh, your Celts didn't come out on top last night. Yeah, that was a bummer. You know, they needed they they, they had a clunker game coming. I just knew it because mm-hmm. they had they you know they won the last four. They rolled the table on the Bulls in the first series. They had to win four to win out, and then they won the first two in this. And so I yeah I don't know yeah the Wizards yeah there's no there's a lot of bad blood between the two teams right now. Last night was just like one technical foul like and flagrant and people getting thrown out and. So it's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the series. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like the Celtics. I like the team. I like the way they play. But for some Good. reason, I don't like Isaiah Thomas. I don't really know why. It might be because the original Isaiah Thomas was my favorite player growing up when I was growing up. So maybe I just hold that against him. But but he's probably named after that. I Isaiah believe he Thomas. is. Yeah, and I'm sure you love him. I, I'm sure all the Celtics fans love him. Of course we do. Of course. I mean. Yeah, he's the little engine that could. I mean, guy's only he's listed at five nine, but I don't believe that. That's Nobody, generous. That is generous. It is very much so. Well, speaking I, of sports, yeah. Uh, last week, uh, one of the big news items was the ESPN layoffs. ESPN laid off about a hundred people, and some of them were relatively well-known personalities um, and analysts and. You know, they've been under a lot of pressure lately. Their subscriber numbers are going down. The whole business model is changing, and uh, we're, we're just seeing a lot of digital disruption out there. Uh, so thought that would be a good topic for today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, ESPN is having its struggles, and, you know, they've been, um, they've been on a pedestal and untouchable for all of these years. And I think that, you know, you can attribute it to... Uh, the changing, you know, the, this digital revolution that we are going through. Um, people are cutting the cord at home. You're a cord cutter, right? I am. Yeah, I know you are. Um, but you still get to watch sports. Uh, you know, the, so people are watching them on their phone. And, and, you know, the days of the sort of that sports center being the go-to type of uh, program that you could not miss um, is changing now in this day and age. And I think ESPN is just the latest example of uh, what's happening in many other industries, as we well know. I mean, from the transportation industry, taxis, cabs, etc. The music industry long ago has started to go through this uh, tumult, you know, the travel industry as well. So it's, you know, it's happening everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, for our audience, especially if we're talking to some channel folks out there, there's opportunity here as well. It's not all gloom and doom in terms of industries being, um, you know, put out of business. So I think that's something that we can chat about. And we're lucky today. We have a guest, don't we, Seth? We do. We do. We, you and I could uh, ramble on about this if we wanted to, but we thought we would bring in uh, a guest speaker. I think this is the first time that we're bringing in someone that we can call a friend of the show. Not that the other people haven't been friends, but they didn't know about our podcast, and this guy does. So we are really happy to welcome T.C. Doyle. He's the Senior Content Director for Penton and does a lot of writing about the channel and technology and he's the co-author on a book that dives specifically into this issue of digital disruption and digital revolution so welcome tc 
Hey, guys. I'm thrilled to be here. So thanks for having me. Very nice of you to have me. It's our pleasure. It is our pleasure. So, TC, tell us a little bit about, let's talk about your book, because, you know, it really does touch upon, and I've read it, and I know Seth has as well. And, you know, talk a little bit about what you found, because what was interesting about your book is that you did very specific examples within different industries of what's going on and uh, in terms of how the digital age is changing those industries. And you've got some good anecdotes within within the book. But give us sort of a high level of what the goal was there and what your, you know, your idea was behind the book. And then maybe a few of the examples. Um, well, thanks. So the book is called The Digital Revolution. It's the second book that I teamed up with uh, New York Times bestselling author Inder Sidhu. Uh, Inder and I worked together at Cisco. He was a senior vice president of worldwide planning and strategy. And he worked with all the smarty pants propeller heads that Cisco had hired, all the Wharton and Harvard and Kellogg MBAs that kind of looked at the market, tried to understand where things were going. In this particular book, Inder had a, an idea that I think was really actually pretty clever. His perception was there's multiple digital technologies that are right now that are coming together that are not just causing tumult and upheaval in the marketplace, but really, really significant tumult, the kind of tumult and upheaval and disruption we've never seen. So the premise was, if you take two technologies, say you take the IBM PC and the Lotus 123 spreadsheet, you impact the lives of a million financial planners and analysts and people who crunch numbers. You take three technologies that are digital and you end up with the World Wide Web and you democratize information for a billion people. But if you think about what we're going through today, we are now thinking about six, seven different digital innovations. And we're not talking just about people's lives, but we're talking about transactions. Now we've got the Internet of Things that are involved. And so trillions of transactions, billions of interactions, they're all being simultaneously disrupted at the same time, leaving an industry shaking its head going, oh my gosh, we've never seen this much change at once, this much technological change, social change, business change, money change. It's all coming together at once. So that was the premise of the book. I just, I, I love the the approach there. And I know that we've talked before about the title and the fact that it was the digital revolution. And I think that a lot of people would look at that and say, well, we've already, we've had digital for a long time. Like, didn't we already have the revolution in introducing this stuff? But what you just described, I think, lines up with what we've seen in the research and a lot of what Carolyn and I talk about, that we, we've reached a point where we don't just have a brand new industry anymore in the IT industry, something that sprang up out of the creation of all these digital technologies and worked on creating and distributing uh, computers and software into people's hands. But now those things are permeating into everyday life. And that's the real revolution. Not that you have something new that can perform its own interesting function, but that you have to look at functions that you've been doing for a long time and completely change them. Uh, and I, I think that's a lot of what you saw in some of the examples that you looked at in the book. Yeah, you know, it, it manifested itself most recently for me. Um, I am the number fifth child of six. I live 2,000 miles away from where most of my siblings live. And I'm probably the Pluto in the orbit of my family. I have an elliptical orbit. I don't get around as much. And I don't planet anymore. 
Yeah, Pluto's back in as a planet. Neil deGrasse Tyson has said it's a real planet. But in my world, the digital disruption uh, manifested itself when I called my mother, which I'm not really good at doing and I should do more. But I rang her up and I didn't, you know, she didn't pick up. I left a nice, loving, sun voicemail, the kind of thing that would warm your hearts. And I got a text back, got your message, thanks. (laughs) And I almost had the temptation to text her back saying, well played, Gloria. Um, We're seeing generational change. We are seeing business change. And it's really impactful. In the book, we talk about one anecdote that I've shared on stage and talk about a lot. And that is uh, uh, something that came out at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival here in Park City where I'm at. Um, Ken Jennings, the Jeopardy champion of fame, went up against the IBM Watson cognitive computer that I know, Carolyn, you've written about. And uh, um, our friend, Mr. Leonard out in New York with his new company, is it Crush Bank? What's his company? Crush Bank, yeah. Crush Bank, yeah. And I know you've written about it, Seth. You're all over it. But in the in the in this documentary that debuted here at Sundance, Ken Jennings talks about taking on the IBM Watson computing. Now, you previously knew that IBM's forerunner to the Watson technology, Deep Blue, beat Gary Kasparov, the former world chess champ. But Ken Jennings thought, you know, that was a single instance use. You know, Seth, you, you were probably at IBM at the time, if I'm not mistaken. You got some background there. But, you know, Ken Jennings thought there's no way multi-subject matter expertise, uh, quick on the feet. There's no way this computer can compete with me. So he flies to New York because you can't move the Watson technology. It's pretty damn takes up a room. And they filmed the episode, and Ken Jennings thought triumphantly he was going to beat the hell out of this thing. He got his ass kicked. Every question from geography to science to arts and literature, just he got hammered. And in that moment, he shares in this documentary that we write about in the book that he realized the total disruption, not just to blue-collar workers that typically get disrupted in waves of automation that are brought into business and industry and science, but people who are knowledge workers, people who do what we do for a living, put words together, put numbers together, put ideas together. They're toast in many fields after another, media, education, transportation, hospitality. I mean, there are significant waves of tumult that are about to hit us that we've never seen. And they're coming in successive waves that are compressed, closer together than ever before. You know, when the blacksmiths got disrupted, at the time of the Industrial Revolution when automobiles were starting to take root, it was 20 years before we you know, saw a complete end of that industry. Now we have jobs that are disappearing, you know, what, in 18 months? That's never before happened. Well, speaking of blacksmiths, I just want to interject here is that there's literally a blacksmith that is a mile from my house here in New Hampshire doing quite well. I have no idea what he does and for whom, but he's been there since I've lived in this community. And uh, so, I don't know, just a shout out to the remaining blacksmiths that have completely gone under. Does that speak more about your choice of where to live than does the total industrial output (laughs) in the United States? Hey, it's just a cute little anecdote from my nice town. It seems like a toothless comparison. Oh, wait a minute. That was a Celtic reference. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Don't the little guy was rescue us, Seth. Where do you want to go next? No, I I know where I want to go next. So all of us knowledge workers are going to be out of a job or in danger of being out of a job. So what? I mean, obviously we can't all just be walking. No, and I think Carolyn, your question's spot on. So 
is it digital? We call it the digital revolution. We were going to call it the great digital disruption, but then we realized it's disruptive to some, but not all. And so what do I mean by that? So take Intermountain Healthcare. I'm here in Utah, and I mentioned twice already. Intermountain Healthcare is probably one of the most progressive healthcare providers in the United States. Uh, it has today, under its employment, 200 data informaticists. These men and women uh, are, are recruited to do two things for the organization. Help us produce better patient outcomes and help us reduce costs. So these guys are crunching numbers every single day. And if you think about it, they are transforming healthcare, helping to come up with better protocols that'll make people healthier uh, and save the insurance companies and payers, and including the government, money. 200 data informaticists, that's more people than work, more physicians that work in their oncology department. So it's a totally transformative thing. Yes, it will end up costing some people their jobs, but the jobs that are going to be created, theoretically, for those that are going to the right schools and studying the right subjects, they could be very many and plentiful. No, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, but there's a new study that I just worked on, and we're going to talk about this in, in another uh, edition of Volley coming up, but I'll just briefly um, talk about it here because it's about the new IT buyers. And one of the things, and I'll get to why this is relevant to what we're talking about, but one of the things we asked um, these new buyers of IT who happen to be um, executives who are outside of the IT department, so we're talking VP of marketing or the director of HR or whomever, but one of the things we wanted to hear is, within your department, do you have technologists? So you're not just relying on the IT department to deal with your technology or your IT once it's been implemented. And to a respondent in this survey, they all do. And the number one, this is where it gets relevant, the number one job that all of these non-IT line of business departments have within their own business function are data scientists. That's the, it came up over and over in every every discipline wow. that we look at. Whether you're in supply chain, whether you're in um, whether you're in sales and customer service, whether you're in marketing, they all have data scientists on staff. So you're right, TC. That yes, there are going to be jobs that disappear or are, are able to be done in some form by a machine, uh, and that but there are going to be different discipline areas that we need to pursue as humans um, that are going to be a great opportunity. So one of the things that, you know, Seth, you asked, but one of the things we delve in in the book is it's not just a trade-off. You know, how many jobs are we going to lose versus how many are we going to create? There are other ramifications and aspects, and I hope you don't mind if I go off on a little bit of a tangent on one. So one of the things we touch on in the book is it's not just, there are a lot of people trying to figure out, well, is automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, is that going to be a plus in terms of head counts in the global workforce or a negative? That's a separate debate. But this digital technology is so powerful, there are other changes that are occurring as a result. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's take transportation. Everybody's taking an Uber, and we all marvel at its efficiency and how much better it is. Let's be honest. When you sit in the back of a New York City taxi cab and your knees are shoved up against a plexiglass screen that separates you from the driver, and you glance around and you look at all those stickers, and you see all the different wording and language, and at the bottom of it, it's the New York Taxi Authority. You say to yourself, how many of these codes are protecting me, the consumer? None of them are. It's all for the industry. But what's happened, at least that industry is regulated by a third-party independent government. So we're now, when you go to the Uber world, who, who's regulating it? Well, that's really the consumer with your star ratings. 
So what if you step back and you ask yourself, well, what's that mean? We were talking employment earlier, but now we're transforming how regulation works. And we're transforming in this instance from de jure, legal ramifications, to de facto, the consumer is now in charge. Well, is that better or is that worse? I'm not trying to take a position one way or the other, but it's a whole different thing when you when government gives up the right to regulate something as opposed to private industry that takes over the regulation. And I think, frankly, a lot of us have seen how Uber has handled itself as a corporate public citizen, and there are legitimate questions to be raised as to whether or not they're looking out for us. I think that these shifts that are happening, whether we're looking at ESPN and the way that content is consumed or we're looking at Uber and and the way that rides are made available, there's just been this upheaval in the economic model. And I think in some of the the, the business models that have been based on on the way that the world used to be. A lot of that has had to do with distribution, and I think that plays very specifically into the IT channel that we all focus on, that so much of it was built up on being able to distribute products and software. And, and the distribution now, the costs have gone almost to zero with the Internet uh, and and with the spread of knowledge that that people can just pick up these pieces and and do a lot of it themselves and a lot of that's gone away but there's still value somewhere in the chain Uh, and and when it comes to employment we also get a lot of questions about well what's going to happen with employment and and where is it going to go and we try to focus on some of the characteristics that there might be in future jobs because it's really impossible to predict exactly what those jobs will be but things like human-to-human interaction or things like really specializing in a niche where uh, in a world that that is built out to scale and a lot of those scale needs are met those are some of the characteristics that you might build in but the the way that the industry is moving and, and the speed that, that it's moving at I think makes you have to think about these things in in a very different way uh, and and that's kind of what we're trying to do is figure out exactly what the the core things are that are changing and when it comes to new jobs or being able to function in in this economy. You mentioned education and being technically literate. And I think that's one thing that we struggle with as an industry, as people are looking at us, that a lot of the skills that are needed are above the level of skills that are needed for a lot of jobs that are done today in other sectors, uh, entry-level jobs. And I, I think that when you have disruption of this magnitude, that is just one of the the pills that you have to swallow, that there's a lot of new things that have to be learned, and you can't just transfer from being low-skilled in one job in one industry into a brand-new industry and and expect that the the base level of knowledge can be the same. I think it has to go up. Uh, So we're, we're really interested to watch that going forward, and at CompTIA, we're really interested to try to help with that. I think, Seth, you nailed it dead to rights. I think the biggest thing that we tried to come up with in the book, the biggest takeaway we came away with was the speed of disruption that occurs as a result of putting everything digital means the risk and everything is so much higher. You don't have 20 years to react as an organization or an industry. You've got three, maybe five. And if the successive waves of digital innovation keep coming at the pace and the rate they are, that three to five year period might be compressed to 18 months. So then you start to think of, you know, let's not talk politics here per se, but you know, the most successful economy in the world right now, probably the American one. 
it's smoking. It's it's running 80 some odd plus months of positive job growth. Stock markets at the all time high. Corporate profits near their all time high. But as they optimize around digital innovation, how much more risk does that bake into our society? It, it's it's very. <laughs> we're at an interesting point. Kellen, your thoughts? Well, you know, I was thinking about when you were talking about how fast things can change and that we need to, the cycle is no longer a 20-year cycle to adjust or a 10-year cycle or even a year cycle in some cases. That's not good news maybe for us of a certain age, but I see it in my own kids, and I know all of us here have children and, and uh, of, that are getting older and reaching adulthood, many of them, and they're used to that. That's how they roll, and, and you know, to to be cliche about it, but it is. So I think when they enter the workforce, the fact that they're going to have to mutate constantly, uh, I don't think will be as much of a, oh my God, as it is to somebody my age, for instance. And I think that is a, a positive sign for the future. doesn't help us, but <laughs> it's a positive sign. No, but you, let me ask you, you've got uh, two daughters, yeah. one in college. I, they're not going to work for the same firm for 25, 30 years, and they know it, and they're anticipating that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, they're, I think their viewpoint on the workforce and their career choices are just so different than those of us um, who are, again, of a certain age. So I think that they'll be able to roll with the, uh, the fact that digitization and, and everything that's going on from a technology perspective is going to change the landscape so much. You know, the other thing is, and you and I have talked about this, TC, is, you know, if all else fails, you go to work as what, the, the one human in the in the plant that fixes the robots that are doing everything else when they, you know, needs to reset the button or whatever. Um, that's another that's another fa uh, failover. <laughs> it is. Now, in the book, we talk about the we write at length about Tesla and its disruptive powers. But the interesting thing is the the fellow that I mentioned earlier, Andrew Sidhu the former SVP of Cisco, he toured the Tesla factory and he came away with this. The only people that are working in that factory are people who are working on robots. <laughs> so the, the cars are being built by robots. So we humans, we're working on the robots these days. So what does this mean for the IT channel? Um, maybe this is a, a good place to bring it back to an area that we all focus on a lot and, and say, what what are these people going to be doing? I, th I think we've been looking at it over the past five years, all of us, and, and within CompTIA's membership, and trying to kind of figure out what is the future of the, the channel? What's the future, I think, of the, of the IT industry? Uh, I, I see it as the knowledge that is being held by technologists and people that have been in the industry a while and people that are coming into the industry and bringing a lot of technical knowledge. I think that's still key. I think there's a huge mindset shift from using that knowledge to install and implement a supporting technology infrastructure into using that knowledge to drive business forward and, and having business discussions. Carolyn, you mentioned your new study that's really focused on line of business, and I, I don't know how much the, the industry continues to stand alone versus almost permeates into some of these other areas and, and just becomes a really strong contributor and advisor there as technology is is a, a foundational piece for a lot of business objectives. What do you guys think? So I think from our industry standpoint um, that all of the change that we're seeing, the rapid pace of change is, uh, while it can be troubling 
to some folks, uh, it is also an opportunity for others who are willing to sort of latch on to the ride and go. And, you know, with respect to my new study, I, I do think that there is there is now a legion of buyers out there that are going to need some handholding and need some indoctrination into the digital world. And that could be, you know, the key place where some of our folks in the industry and then the bigger, broader industry vendors and distributors and those of us thought leaders, et cetera, uh, are able are able to step in and, and, and help those line of business folks um, get there. But no, you know, to your point, Seth, I think um, I think the industry has a uh, has a duty almost to, to since we're a little bit ahead of the curve, since we're in the technology world, um, to help work with um, folks who may not be schooled and maybe sort of like overwhelmed by the pace of what's going on in the industry and in their career uh, in the business that they work in. Um, from a channel perspective, I think you're going to see, and we see this in the demographics, the channel's aging. You're going to see a whole segment of the channel that doesn't care. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, you know, they're, they're moving on and their careers are ending and they're selling their businesses and they're, you know, they're going to sit on a beach somewhere or they're going to be in the mountains or they're going to do whatever they want to do. Um, good for them. Bravo. It's going to be and then we've got sort of the, the, the channel, the kind of go-getters in the channel that are really successful companies. I think th those companies have already started to pivot very radically to the digital world, and they're going to do well. The big problem is what happens to the, the pipeline of new entrepreneurs in the channel, and we talk about this. And I hope that the, this whole digitization of, of our planet does not provide them so many opportunities, young people, to be in technology, um, but not in the channel. And I think that that's kind of the fear that we're all facing right now is that it's like, I could be a really cool data scientist working for, you know, a, a retail company or working for a fashion company or working for whomever. Why would I ever want to start a channel company? You know, not to get too deep in the weeds, but I think that that's something that we're going to have to face going forward. And it's a direct result of digital has opened up technology jobs across every single industry every job every industry every industry every business is a technology business today and that's very different from it, what it was 10 or 20 years ago where you, if you went into technology you were going into a technology business uh, and what that does for the channel I don't know but it's a little bit it's a little bit troubling right now to see whether or not we're going to have enough young people being interested so my take on that is um, it's interesting Carolyn what you say uh, if you go back to the premise of the book, that multiple digital innovations, when used in conjunction, produce not just a disruptive innovation, but maybe a completely transformative innovation, and then you marry it with your own study and your own work with the line of business buyers, I think you end up with this. And that's simply that right now, the channel has felt the disruptive waves of impact from the cloud computing. Companies, organizations, line of business buyers can pull out a credit card and sign up for an application. They can sign up for a service. They can enlist, bring in, on, without the auspices of IT's, ICT department's innovation, uh, intervention, they can bring in all this innovation. But if you go back to that premise that I said at the onset, that you need the multiple waves of digital technology working together to get that real big transformative benefit, what does that mean for our partners? Well... That's a good thing, I think. If they're the ones that are saying, hey, marketing, hey, HR, legal, finance, 
any corporate function. You went off and bought a one-off business innovation and technology. Great. You got innovation. You got functionality and a capability you didn't have before. But what if we bring that back into the IT department? We marry it with other digital innovations. We might be able to take what you did on a one-off and really create something transformative. I think that's the channel's proposition going forward. We're going to be the ones that not just sell you horizontal basic innovation, but we're going to be the ones that will take all that departmental one-off buying, combine it with other stuff, be it business intelligence, data analysis, better compliance, new innovations, and we're going to create new products that are going to drive outcomes to a higher level. If we can do that, if the channel can do that, my gosh, there's a whole, there's 25, 30 plus years of future for them. But if they allow that one-off buying to dilute their influence, then I think we're in a world of hurt. I would agree. I I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of challenges. And I think it's going to be interesting times. We always talk about uh, that that's sort of a a blessing and a curse that you get to live in interesting times. And I, I think we're right in the middle of it. So with that, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So thanks again for joining us, TC. It was really good to have you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, hopefully sometime soon we can all get together instead of being in Utah and Illinois and New Hampshire. So uh, we'll have to look for that somewhere down the road. But Well, you can all come here and visit the blacksmith down the street. So. <laughs> field trip. <laughs> yeah, it's a field trip. It's just like that. Yeah, Sturbridge, old Sturbridge Village. Sparks will fly. <laughs> That's a great place to stop. So thanks, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye.